Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. You're listening to Baltimore Ons, the home of the all-weather fan. My name is Sam Dingman. This is Alan Smith. Let's get stupid. Baltimoreans. Hello, Baltimoreans. How are y'all doing? Congratulations on your third consecutive Orioles winning season. There are there are smiles smiles abound. I would say in Hootenanny Studios, there's just a there's just smiles bouncing all over the place. At least one smile for every game. We are over 500. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 105 of Baltimoreans, the show that, like Mass and broadcaster Gary Thorne, has an acute understanding of the social media landscape. Be sure to join uh, this weekend at Camden Yards for Masson's Social Media Weekend. Check out at Masson Orioles on Twitter for more information. We've got a tweeter of a show for you tonight, folks. (laughs) In a bit, we'll finally address our increasingly embarrassing failure to provide you, the ever-patient Baltimoreans, with credible nicknames for the frigate of fresh-faced Orioles that you've been forced to watch on your televisions these last few weeks without the benefit of a Baltimoreans-approved sobriquet. I know I speak for Alan when I say we apologize, and also when I say that I can't credibly claim that any of the nicknames we've come up with are worth the weight to which we've subjected you. (laughs) There might be one or two. (laughs) Of course, no episode of Baltimoreans would be complete without our most popular recurring segment, the Jake Fox Franchise Report. Has it ever occurred to you, morons, that if you swap the first letters of Jake Fox's first and last names, you get fake jocks? (laughs) As in a phrase describing individuals who seem externally to be rife with athletic ability, but cannot in fact manifest such talents when push meets shove. That had not occurred to us, dude. Cast your memory back, dear listeners, to spring training 2011, when our dear Jacob the Inauthentic clubbed 10 home runs and appeared poised to capitalize on the powerful promise of his long and winding minor league career. As we are all so painfully aware, when push met shove... Smoke met mirror, and Fox proved to be closer in namesake to the poisonous glove than the sly forest mammal. And yet, just a few short summers later, your 2014 team leader in wins above replacement is none other than fellow seeming spring training aberration Stephen Wayne Pierce. Pierce, like Fox before him, impressed Orioles fans with an absurd display of spring training power, but has proved to be the real deal. Pointing with great vehemence, I would argue, squarely at the brilliance of Dan Duquette and Buck Showalter, who have so deftly done what Andy McPhail and Dave Tremblay could not, which is to identify dark horse contributors whose minor league trends pointed towards actual major league success. (laughs) Tonight, we pause to honor Jake Fox, one of the many poster boys for the McFailures of the old guard. Speaking of guardianship... We wouldn't entrust our ramblings to any but the finest set of internet pipes, which is why we're so proud to be members of the Baltimore Sports Report Network, which brings you first-rate Baltimore sports content from our sister wife podcasts with unfailing regularity. It is, therefore, an ongoing mystery to us why they've elected to jeopardize that sterling reputation (laughs) by offering our drivel to you these last 104 episodes. But here we sit on episode 105 with another opportunity to vindicate their ongoing support of our efforts. It's going to take a doozy of a show to pull it off, but I can't think of anyone better qualified to point us in the right direction than my esteemed co-host, 
Alan Smith. So here's a fact you can't deny and may begin that long road to redemption that Sam just spoke of. Samsung, the television company, released a 105-inch bendable television today. That's right, 105 inches. Now, it's well known that a television is measured from corner to corner, which means that the longest possible dimensions of the screen is the 105 inches measurement. For comparison, I measured my queen-size mattress earlier today. And that, Baltimoreans, was 96 inches from corner to corner, which means to imagine watching an Orioles game on this very television, you can simply take your king-sized mattress, flip it on its side, and use a projector on its exposed underbelly. Even better, if you've got a king-sized futon, you could bend it like this TV. The television so far is priceless, and we can't really expect it to be cheap when it eventually does have a price set, but, and I ask this question as an honest-to-God, red-blooded American male, is it possible that televisions have gotten too large? Is there a point where the sloped Neanderthal brow of Steve Pierce, or the bloodshot varicose veins adorning Buck's nose, or the succulent rolls of Wayne Kirby's shoulders become just a little too much to handle in all of those deaths? Do we reach, at some point, peak Oriole, where anything more leaves us twitching and writhing like the young anti-hero in the Clockwork Orange? It's funny how the colors of the real world only seem really real when you video them on a screen. Now, all the time I was watching this, I was beginning to get very aware of, like, not feeling all that well. And this I put down to all the rich food and vitamins. I began to feel really sick. But I could not shut me glasses. And even if I tried to move my glass balls about, I still could not get out of the line of fire of this picture. Uh, get me up. Now I know what you're thinking, Baltimoreans. Of course not. Of course a 105-inch TV is just an amazing idea. In fact, what an amazing time to have such a thing. What with Jimmy Parides, Kelly Johnson, and Andrew Miller joining this team, we're suddenly much easier on the old eyes as a unit. And that's to say nothing of the return of the beautiful, doe-eyed Charlie Hoppus lookalike, Joe Saunders. Anyway, it strikes me that in previous years, a 105-inch television would simply be a few thousand more pixels of suckitude, but that this year's iteration of the Orioles is actually worthy of this splendor. Now, just let me go throw out literally everything else in my apartment so I can fit it in to my 800-square-foot two-bedroom. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the weekly Jake Fox Franchise Report, where we rank the most important issues from Birdland and Beyond on a scale ranging from strikeout to home run. Item number one on this week's report is that Chris Davis's average, as of Wednesday, would be 232 without the shift. However, here in the world of the real, he's hitting a paltry 194 despite homering 25 times. 
Sam, what ranking would you give Chris's unwillingness to change his approach? And is the problem in your estimation that the shift is too prevalent or that Chris Davis can't or won't adjust? I'm going to give this a ranking of one Trustafarian. The Trustafarians are the people who they've got a lot of money in the bank account uh, yeah. because their parents were very successful, which means they don't really have to do anything, so they don't. Right. They kind of grow out the dreads. They hang out, home brewing, Dean East laking it up. <laughs> Actually, oftentimes strumming a banjo as well. I'm not implicating Dean in any of this, by the way. We have our eyes on you, Mr. Eastlake. <laughs> Just kind of, you know, sitting around squandering their opportunity and 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 their their rationale is often something along the lines of like, you know, I'll tell you what the real problem is, man. Right. And it's like, no, the problem is that you are not doing something with the reality that you occupy. Right. And Chris, I would like to point the finger of privilege at you, sir. <laughs> you are a big, strong man. You have shown in the last two seasons an ability to adapt to off-speed offerings from left-handed pitchers, drive them the other way with great force, and I don't understand why this year, when you're being shifted on harder than ever, you have been unwilling to sacrifice some power for some nice, easy line drive strokes the other way. In general, I think it points at a larger question in baseball, which is, there's all this talk now of like, is the shift good for baseball? Should we get rid of the shift? No, the shift is, man. <laughs> That's the world we live in. We live in a shifted world. It's like people, you know, it's like people who uh, can't get their heads around the fact that gay people are allowed to get married now. And they're like, well, it's just not like it was when I was growing up. Too bad. <laughs> There's a hole in the ozone layer now. Things done changed. And True. It, you can either change with it or you can continue to be obstinate and hope that other people get on your your problematic, regressive wavelength that's holding this country and this game back. <laughs> How do you feel about the instant replay, Sam? <laughs> I am not a fan. You know, I, I, I think I mostly agree with you. Um that it is on Chris to figure out how to do this. Uh, you know, the thing about Chris Davis is he's an athlete. He's a very powerful uh, runner. He covers a lot of ground. I would love to see him bunt a few times over to third base. And I really think that, like, as much as we joke about that, I think that's one of those things that you can actually physically do that takes very little. And what it will do is it will relax the shift some. It won't get rid of it, but people will be shading a few steps in and a few steps over. That number would creep up to 220, maybe, with balls in play. And I think that, you know, 220 is not where I wanted Chris Davis to be at the beginning of the season. I thought this was the year that he was going to crack 300 and hit 30 home runs. Um, and in fact, he is on pace for the most power with the lowest batting average of any ball player of all time, including Mark Reynolds' 200 strikeout season with the Arizona Diamondbacks, <laughs> which is terrifying. <laughs> However, I do think a little bit that the shift has equalized the game a little bit for some power hitters. Uh, I think it's taken away the usefulness of of a Mark Reynolds, of an Adam Dunn, of a Chris Davis, and it's made those sorts of people even more hard to roster and even more hard to keep in the lineup every day because they've become 
essentially rally killers anywhere you put them in. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's great the the shift and the trend that we're seeing towards more well-rounded baseball players in general. I feel like the thing with Chris Davis is, you know, so much of what we talk about the strength of the Orioles being is that everybody there is a team player. Everybody there is just trying to do what's best to to get wins you know, I'm not saying Chris Davis is fundamentally a selfish dude, but I think it's pretty clear from watching him in any game this season that he's trying to homer his way out of this slump. Right. And the thing is, even if you took away all 25 of the home runs he's hit this year, I think the Orioles would still be leading the major leagues in home runs. Yeah. Like, home run <laughs> power is not the problem. And the graphic that we referenced in the in the intro to this showed that he's lost 16 hits to the shift this season, which if he had those 16 hits, it would raise his average to 232. I feel pretty confident that he could have gotten at least 17 hits to left field through some combination of bunts and and line drives into the gap that we saw him hit all of last year. And we're very fortunate that it hasn't been as big of a hindrance as it could have been. Next up on the Jake Fox Franchise Report, Jonathan Scope homered again tonight, making that home runs in back-to-back to back games. In fact, he has homered in one out of every 13.7 at-bats since the All-Star break, which is better than Nelson Cruz's 14.1 at-bats per home run rate for the season. So, not too shabby. (laughs) Alan Smith, what is your ranking, and is this a hot streak or the new world order for the Freshmaker? I'm going to give this a home run. Bold. 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 Uh, you know, it's not a new world order, though, because Jonathan Scope is still striking out at a nearly Chris Davian. Chris. No, let's go with <laughs> Davian. I like it. <laughs> Chris Daviusian? Davisian? Davisian. Davisian. Yeah. At a nearly Chris Davisian level. The branch Davisians Ooh! are the people who believe that one day the old Chris Davis will return. <laughs> <sighs> okay, please continue. Okay, we just solved a lot there. Um, to your point, you made about Chris Davis, however, this is not an Orioles team that is lacking in power. Uh, we're hitting the ball crazy numbers of home runs, and this red series we just finished felt like a home run derby soup to nuts. I mean, it was just all over the park. And Jonathan Scope, I believe his second home run went 446 feet? Something like that. Those are those are steroid numbers right there. I mean, that's a big-ass home run. That's, that's uh, who was it? I think it was Danny Tartable. Who, who holds the record for the longest home run at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Um, but it, it went into the second It went into the second bullpen. Oh, I mean, yes, it he, did. He twice, hit the bejesus twice. at that ball. <laughs> and, and to me, you know, that's like, that's just icing on the cake for the, the Jonathan Scope experience. Because if he can continue to play a good second base and strike out less often, and he has that kind of backup power, then we're looking at like, someone who I feel comfortable penciling into second base for a long time. Um, the home, the strikeout rate is still too high, but he's 23. And I think if he goes from 230 to 260 and he has that kind of power, I'm, I'm down with that. I'm down with that for a long time. <laughs> so obviously I think the back-to-back-to-back and the 13.7 um, at-bats per home run number are uh, aberrations, but I think that the long-term Jonathan Scope stock is trending upwards. I, uh, I'm i going to quibble with you slightly, maybe. I'm going to give this the... I'm going to give this one coffee stain on a roving minor league scout notebook 
because I think what the <laughs> coffee stain, because I think what's happened is that that the prognosis for Jonathan Scope is kind of obscure right now. It's a little bit opaque. Um, because, you know, uh, one of the things that at least television broadcasters in baseball love to talk about, and who knows if this is actually true, if it's just one of those things that television broadcasters say when there's not enough other stuff to talk about. They like to say that power is the last thing to develop in prospects. So that means that what we're looking at is Jonathan Scope is either fully formed at this point, and the power is at its peak, and it comes with the set of weaknesses that we've discussed ad nauseum in terms of plate discipline, or it means that he's going to start hitting more home runs, and he hasn't even come into his already sizable frame yet, um, and that there's the possibility to adapt and develop better plate discipline, as you say. The other thing that I think, the other piece that I guess is worth considering here is that as we have seen with Adam Jones, as we have seen with Manny Machado, um, as we have seen with J.J. Hardy, these are guys whose approach since the beginning has been pull that ball, pull that ball hard, hit those line drives. Yep. Um, and they have not really... Manny was doing it towards the beginning of the year last year, and then it fell off and it never really came back this year, it, it being hitting the ball the other way. That's not something that seems organizationally to be a priority. The priority in the organization is get it in the air, get it over the fence. And so far, actually, that has been a successful strategy, and I don't know that I have any quibbles with it. Uh, Nick Markakis is sort of the lone wolf in having a sort of like like careful scientific approach to bat control. Right. Um, and and like running each at bat like a like a internet startup. Um, so I guess what I mean by that is I don't know that there's organizational support for Jonathan Scope developing in the way that you're talking about unless we have some kind of philosophical shift away from the Jim Presley doctrine. I guess my, my ultimate feeling about Jonathan Scope is that as long as we don't need him to be anything more than he is, which is like a secret weapon at the very bottom of the order and a very good defensive second baseman, it's okay if he doesn't improve. It seems like we should want him to develop into a number five, number six, maybe even cleanup hitter as he gets older and improves his approach. And if I had my druthers, I'd like to see him uh, pushed in that direction. But I'm not confident that that's something that this organization is going to do. Item number three on this week's report is that Buck seems to be adjusting his rotation to rest people for the playoffs. That's right. Here at the beginning of September, we're looking at some essentially meaningless baseball, but for all the right reasons. Sam, how would you rank this frankly shocking and unexpected development? I think it's uh, it's like when you have Chinese food and you get to the end of the meal and you reach into the bag and you're having a great time. You're joking around with your friends. Maybe you're playing a little uh, Mario Kart, mm. you know. Perhaps mm. you're in, uh, engaging in some unbearable Amstel lightness of being. <laughs> and everything seems very light and feathery. And then you, you open up the fortune cookies and you pull yours out and it says something really profound, like seek freedom from your demons or something. And then you, you have to go take a private moment in the other room <laughs> to kind of recognize the, the kind of sobering uh, resonance of that. Uh-huh. Um, I think this is that. <laughs> Because uh, what's going on, and Gary Thorne alluded to this on the broadcast last night, he was saying that Buck won't say in an interview 
that he's resting regulars because he wants them to be fresh for the playoffs. But that's absolutely what is happening. Sure. With a nine and a half game lead uh, on September 4th. Right. And it's it may not make for the most exciting baseball for us all the time. Uh, we may not necessarily want to have the Jimmy Parides experience a couple times out of a week, and it may speak for yourself, sir. <laughs> I, Alan, of course, is the president of the Parides fan club. <laughs> We've got T-shirts. <laughs> I I'd buy one of those. Um, like you know, it's clear that Buck Showalter knows what he has on his hands, and in a very methodical, calculating strategic detail oriented way he's going to usher us not just it's not just going to be a mad dash across the finish line and then we will get to the playoffs and see where the chips fall he's trying to make sure that the orioles team that reaches the playoffs is the best possible most well-rested orioles team that he can deliver so enjoy those uh enjoy those david lowe starts in center field where he's batting second because there's going to be a few more of them I'm going to give this the ranking of my cool older uncle who, when playing backyard baseball with us, would always make sure that everybody ended up getting some sort of hit at some point during the uh, the match. So if that meant uh, one of us older cousins, um, if that meant tracking down our fly balls and making athletic grabs to keep us from getting the third hit, so be it. And if that meant accidentally letting a grounder trickle through his legs so that one of the younger cousins gets on base, so be it. I think that that ranking is incredibly important because it is a situation where he was controlling the outcome of the game in a very intentional way. And it get, and it meant that he was entirely in control. And I have watched a lot of baseball. And I've watched some truly bad Orioles teams, and I've watched some pretty good Orioles teams, but I've never watched an Orioles team where I felt like they were the class of the series, where they looked like for long stretches of time that they were actively toying with the opposition. And I know that it's not totally true. I know that, I mean, we can always get swept by the Cubs, and it's Major League Baseball, and that shit happens, but... This 9-2 and two stretch that we're in right now has felt like we're toying with the opposition. And we're winning games despite playing our B guys. And that is a new experience for me in watching a professional sports team. That also made me think that uh, your cool uncle should start a nonprofit organization called Buckners for Peace. <laughs> Stay with me. Nope, I'm with it. You're I'm with, already there. You're with it. You, I'm already there. You guys out there get it, right? Yep. Okay. Yep. yep. Uh, all right. Good well, work, Uncle Mike. Appreciate you. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break, and we will come back with the long overdue nicknames that you have been craving. You're listening to Baltimoreans. You're listening to Baltimoreans, the home of the all-weather fan. My name is Sam Dingman. This is Alan Smith. And Baltimoreans, this has been a delightful season so far. But despite moments of unquestionable brilliance, we still find ourselves in the beginning of September questioning our team, ourselves, and frankly, a good deal of what we can remember from last weekend. One thing we are not questioning, however, is the fact that the nickname episode, 
which for those interested, is episode 88, 2014 Orioles nickname audit, aka Inspector Soulpatch, is woefully out of date. Rosters change, and the Orioles roster changes faster than many. So we are now happy to bring you an Orioles nickname update, so we can all go into the playoffs knowing what to scream, at whom, when. Now, many Orioles are already well and truly nicknamed, so we're only going to mention people in two categories. One, those that have arrived since opening day, and two, those few who have proven our prognosticative nickname powers false, thereby requiring a revisit and redress. First up on that latter list, I would say, is one Mr. Bud Norris. Now, Alan Smith, uh, in your notes here, you've indicated that you felt that our initial nicknames for him, which were Gomer Pyle and Beans, are perhaps no longer truly accurate. So, Beans is a very good nickname, and it's in fact the one that I have found myself found myself using to reference Bud Norris on the regular over the course of the season. Easy to say. It can be positive or negative. It's it, got all the things you want in a nickname. His face looks constantly as if he's just eaten beans. <laughs> I don't know why. I'm not sure what that face looks like except for to look at Bud Norris. It, all, it, it works well. But the, the obvious mistake to me is that I've also been calling him Ace? Shh. Shh. Is, is he the ace? Knit thy gums together, sir. I mean, granted, there was that Cubs kerfuffle. But that was mostly due to weather. That was not that was not Bud's fault. No, that was not Bud's fault. Statistically speaking, Bud Norris has been close to our best pitcher all all season long, and I feel that that should be uh, the the noted in his nickname. So I'm going to put forward somehow. I'm going to put forward as a new Bud Norris nickname, the Ace of Beans. The Ace of. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the beans. It opened. Anyway. All right. Well, another starter that has uh, come up since opening day is young Kevin Gossman. Yes. Sam, what's your uh, what's your feeling on a good a good nickname for the boy? It's it's uh, I'm going to go simple. I'm going to go straight up the middle. Gosmania. Mm-hmm. And the reason I want to say Gosmania is because it is such an adequate descriptor of my state of mind when Kevin Gosman pitches. <laughs> I have such high expectations and hopes for him. I I when he comes out and he starts pitching, he's so eccentric, you know, he throws the the warm-up pitch from behind the mound. Yeah. Before every pitch from the full windup, he does that thing where he stretches his hands way up in the air and then brings them down. He's just gangly with promise. He's got those ridiculous eyeglasses on now, and his highs are so high, but then he just goes completely off the rails at various points, and he walks the bases loaded, and then he strikes out two guys in a row to get out of it. He's always somehow at 60 pitches after the second <laughs> inning. Um, and then he's always still around in the fifth somehow. <laughs> yeah, and what I, what I feel is a mania. Yep. I feel like I'm in a manic place where I'm like, Kevin, Kevin, do it, do it good. Why aren't you, Kevin? Ah! And then when he does well, I'm so happy. Yep. I'm so happy. I, I experience Gosmania. I think it's a good nickname. I'm not actually going to put anything up to fully counter it, but for any of those Fallout fans out there, I do personally in my own head refer to him as the Goss Rifle. <laughs> All right. Next up, we have my former high school nemesis uh-huh. from the varsity backfields of Northern Virginia, Joe Wildcard Saunders. Oops, just told you what my nickname <laughs> is for him. 
<laughs> and for all of Oriole Nation, really. I mean, I think Wildcard, uh, you know, it, 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 it recognizes his most important game in his major league career. I'm going to say this. Um, probably the most important thing that's ever happened to Joe Saunders, <laughs> we can safely say. I'm going to say this about Joe Saunders. It's a wild card every time he goes out there. Because yeah. here's what happened. When I faced Joe Saunders in high school at the tender age of 17, he was throwing the ball 84 miles an hour. Uh-huh. Now, when you're 17, that's faster than you can possibly fathom <laughs> a baseball being thrown at you. Sure. But this is the thing. Joe Saunders still only throws 84 miles an hour, but now we are in the 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 burgeoning dawn of our 30s. Yeah, and he's in the twilight of his career. <laughs> so when he goes out onto the mound and starts lobbing this garbage yeah. towards home plate <laughs> that arrives with just not a drop of mustard on it <laughs> and it works it it's, it's a wild it's, card it's it's you never know which way it's gonna go uh so i i like that facet of the wild card name as well i again i'm not actually putting forward a different answer but as i mentioned in the intro joe saunders looks remarkably like our friend and sister wife podcaster charles hoppus have you ever seen the two of them in the same place i haven't and in fact I'm not sure that there are, in fact, any difference. So I'm going to start calling Charlie Joe and Joe Charlie. Ooh. It's gonna, it could get tough to keep track of. It's going to be confusing. <laughs> All right. Next up, I think we have, uh, is Broad Brock next? I believe. Yeah, let's move into the bullpen here. Actually, I, th I feel like just to kick things off with Mr. Brock, uh, I just did the thing that I can't help doing with him, which is that since his last name is Brock, I always want to say Broad. Yeah. Like, good evening, Broad. <laughs> Will you be throwing 94-mile-an-hour fastballs tonight? <laughs> That's not my nickname for him. It's just a phenomenon that happens, and I wonder if any of you struggle with it. At B-Morons on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> now, Sam and I have not developed a particular nickname for, for Broad. I, uh, I came up with one in the last five minutes. But whenever he comes on the screen or enters the game, we have uh, we, we seem to just sort of generally squawk at him. Broad Brock! Broad Brock! <laughs> uh, so, we, I'm not sure if that counts as a nickname or an expletive or what that would be. But I think I think there is a smorgasbord here, Smith. Because <laughs> okay. one of the things I like about Broad Brock is that it sounds kind of chicken-like. Sure. And he has sure. that little chicken leg hop at the end yep. of his motion because yep. he throws the ball super hard and then he kind of like springs off his le left leg yes so we could call him the chicken man we could we could call him chicken chicken just a great nickname for anyone yep and then the chicken's a great nickname uh brock is this is the one i came up with five minutes ago brock is a brand of candy so we could call him the candy man uh he's i like chicken better <laughs> <laughs> but actually the more i think about it the more i kind of like broad <laughs> But, Good evening, Broad. Yeah, but but could, Broad is just the is the audio. It's on the other end of the audio spectrum from Broad Brock. <laughs> it's like smooth and sophisticated and intelligent. Yeah. Whereas Broad Brock <laughs> sounds a little bit panicked and like all 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 over the place. Well, don't tell me you don't get a little uh, schmifty when Broad comes in. I mean, I get nervous. <laughs> Yeah, but he's been locked down until <laughs> until this evening when he gave up four runs. <laughs> All right. That's, we, that's enough about Brad Brock. 
never stop. Always do it. Are we talking about <laughs> Preston Gilmet? Is that I, a thing that's happening? I spend a lot of my time thinking about Preston Gilmet, so it's it's maybe time we actually put words to his to his name. Okay. Uh I'm gonna go with Mr. Met. I hate <laughs> Preston Gilmet. I'm happy for him to go play for the Mets. <laughs> Is he still on the roster? I can't keep track. I think uh, Ryan Webb allowed him to ride along in his trunk on the way back from Norfolk. <laughs> well, I'm going to call him the Gilmetatine. <laughs> That's much better. <laughs> because I feel like he he is often the executor that finishes off the Orioles' chances of winning. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So uh, uh, we'll call him Robespierre. <laughs> Robespierre for short. <laughs> the Gilmetatine or Robespierre for short. Uh, another another reliever who we've now c- known um, quite well over the course of the season, but did not in fact start on opening day was T.J. McFarland. Now, don't call T.J. McFarland a reliever. <laughs> he started that one game against Texas. That's true. That's true. We may have him in the wrong category here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am going to go with my nickname for TJ McFarland from last year, which is the man from McFarland. Because if you look at his last name, it spells out McFarland. <laughs> and sometimes he pitches like a man from a strange, far-off place yep. where where their values are different from from our own. <laughs> you know, uh, our, our friend our friend Jake English from Bird's Eye View podcast, another of our fine sister wife podcasts, has mostly convinced me that we give the Tej kind of a hard a hard deal. Uh, that in fact he's not that much different than the other Orioles relievers and the position we put him into as starter and mop up person and sometimes long reliever, he's actually fairly good in that position. Um Still, I can't find anything more relevant about him as a person besides the man from McFarland, so that's where it's going to have to sit. (laughs) English, if you have anything else for us, let us know. Um, Now, you have a note here, Alan, about Troy Patton. Mm. Troy Patton was not on the roster for the first session of nicknames, uh, and then is not on the roster now, uh, and he was not useful to the Orioles or the Padres at all, so... Au contraire... Amon Frere. <laughs> we traded Troy Patton. That's true. A thoroughly extraneous left-handed relief specialist. Yes. For Todd Hundley, who ah. we will tell you about a nickname for in a moment. Which is interesting because he's also not on the team. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> I can't stop. No, and, and at this can't. point, I think I won't stop. So, I know it's Nick Hundley, Nick but I'm going to keep saying Todd Hundley. Nick Hundley's nickname officially is The Todd. The Todd. Good. Good. Anyway, back to... Uh, I prefer that to Hundle of back Joy to, anyway. Back to Hundle of Joy is so good, though. Yeah, but it's not as good as The Todd. <laughs> oh, man. Isn't he the Todd's son, though? No, is they, he related to Hundley? They are not related. <laughs> okay. It's just... Look. As I said before, I am in the burgeoning of my 30s. I am, <laughs> I, am a, I am a grizzled baseball fan at this point. And I remember a, a different time in America. Let's go, just go back to the evolution of the game thing momentarily. I remember a time when catchers with the last name Hundley were named Todd. When this, boys were this, men, this new upstart motherfucker, this doesn't have the decency. This nickness, to be named Todd. This nickness will not stand. 
<laughs> is what I think. Okay. Okay. Whew. Anyway, you were saying Troy Patton provided some value in the acquisition of um, of Todd. the Todd father. <laughs> the Todd father. <laughs> it's so good because Todd is not his father. <laughs> oh, the tweets, folks, are really gonna love these. <laughs> um, anyway, they're, they're, uh, they, they they stopped listening long ago. <laughs> Oh, I, I didn't have a nickname for Patton. Okay, I, good. So I, just, can... I just took umbrage with your characterization of him as without value. Fair enough. Fair enough. So we do actually have a very important new uh, bullpen specialist. We will, we will conclude the bullpen se- section with here. Mr. Andrew Miller over from the Boston Red Sox. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on, uh, on, on, on Andrew Miller? Um, I am going to call Andrew Miller uh, much you know, mm. much the Miller, much the Miller Ooh. from Robin Hood. Yeah, nice pull. Um, Wasn't he originally from the Canterbury Tales? I think he was originally from the Canterbury yeah. Tales. I think you're right about that. I'm, I'm, yeah, I think so. Much the Miller. He, especially when he had his beard, he also sort of looked like a Chaucerian figure. Uh, we've of course asked him to shave that mm. now, but you can kind of imagine him in one of those like one of those kind of uh, cloth shirts with the the X uh, in the middle. Like, it's not V-neck. There's, like, a rectangle in the middle, and there's leather straps connecting it, and he has, like, chest hair peeking out. Uh, he's been up slaughtering pigs all morning. Anyway. <laughs> I like... I think much the Miller is good because that slider, it's too much, man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's too much. One of the... One of the <coughs> amazing things that came out of my... Uh, I'm going to call it a jaunt to Cleveland. Uh-huh. My impromptu trip... Sure. ...to Progressive Field was that I got to sit in the second row... Uh, during the game, during the Sunday afternoon game that Gauze Mania pitched, mm-hmm. and then Andrew Miller pitched in relief. So I got to see that slider breaking up close and personal. Oof. I don't know. You, if I was in the box, I would just throw up my hands. Yeah. That thing, it's it literally moved like the letter S. It's insane. It's too much. Well, I'm going to call him Light, um, as in Miller Light, <laughs> uh, because he makes people make terrible mistakes <laughs> <laughs> That's but fantastic. it's a similar place yeah coming yeah. from a similar place mm. oh we could uh, go champagne i'm really happy that he's that you're on the team andrew that's what we're trying to say jesus christ you've been so good <laughs> oh you mean you mean oh we should just call him high life high life that's what it is he's the high life high life reacquaint yourself with the high life soldier Took us a little while to get there, but I think we've we've arrived at. Uh, um, I've also discovered during that journey that it's in fact just much the Miller from uh, much the Miller's son from Robin Hood. He's not in fact from Chaucer. <laughs> well, there goes my Andrew Miller slaughtering pigs in a leather shirt vision. <laughs> you can keep that vision for as long as you want. All right, I'm gonna hold on. This to is it. America, goddammit. <laughs> Well, it used to be. Okay. So uh, both of the catchers that we started out with uh, for nicknames, both catcher Matthew Weeders and catcher Steve Clevenger, both their names and themselves have been deposed. Mm. But we have a whole new brand of catcher in being, in, in, in Orioles Nation. Well, it, in a town where Bud Norris is the ace, it is. I think we have a better claim on Beantown than those <laughs> fucks from boston <laughs> yeah, i think that's true i think that's true uh todd father is clearly nick hunley's name for obvious reasons that I, we've already covered thank you very much i believe you mean todd hundley <laughs> <laughs> sam what would your nickname be for caleb joseph 
the best I've been able to come up with this for with this one is Leb. Go on. No, that's it. <laughs> Caleb. Okay. Um, Leb. Libby. Well, you know, I had a bunch of nicknames for him early on in the season, uh, but none of them seem to have stuck because, in fact, he's actually been quite good uh, and is, in fact, having a better defensive season than Gold Glove winning Salvador Perez of the Kansas City Royals had last year by that every fact. statistical measure. So all of my all of my sort of um, joking nicknames seem a, a, a bit a bit off, actually. Um well, you have one written here that is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. Well, it's it, it was good when it was true. <laughs> what? Uh, 50 Cent? 50 Cent. No, no, no. Caleb in the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Well, that's good. That's that's pretty good. That's spectacular. <laughs> All right, so we'll go with that. <laughs> Give yourself some credit, Smith. <laughs> because I, I, you know what I like about that? Uh, we could just call him uh, Dreamcoat. Dreamcoat. The DC. The, the DC. The DC Comics, the detective, Batman. Let's call him Batman. <laughs> well, that's that's people. That's already Steve Pierce's nickname. Oh no 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 no. He we have to take that away from him. <laughs> okay, well we've got other nickname for no, other nicknames for him. So um, let's see. We uh, that those are the catchers. Mm-hmm. Let's move over to the infield. Um, we've already got. Chris Davis and Jonathan Scope, very well nicknamed. But one man who was not on the roster at the beginning of the season, Kelly Johnson. Sam? Kelly Johnson. Um, I've never liked Kelly Johnson. Nope. He, he just always <laughs> kind of he always kind of plays with this attitude that feels a little bit um, like he, he's you remember uh, you remember uh, Garrett Garrett. Uh, Who is that guy we had playing first play, base from the Rockies? Uh, Garrett, uh, Atkins, that a boy, Atkinson, Atkins, Atkins, Atkins. All you right. got it, Garrett Atkins, he always did that thing when he got in the box where he would kind of look out at the pitcher with this kind of grimace, like, eh, <laughs> yeah, I gotta hit off this guy, what, and Kelly Johnson has a sort of a similar affect when he steps in the box, where he sort of glowers out at the pitcher like, are you gonna, are you gonna throw a pitch and then I'm gonna swing at it, who came up with this, um, so, <laughs> For that reason, and that reason alone, uh, I'm going to call Kelly Johnson the skeptic. The skeptic? Just I like that. The next time he gets in the box, look at his face and be like, that guy, that man looks skeptical. And I'm skeptical that he will be a meaningful member of the team. <laughs> I'm going to call him Kelly Joint Johnson um, because this is the fifth of the five American League teams which he has now played <laughs> That's for. That's true. So he's being passed around like a joint at a party. <laughs> now, I like Kelly Joint Johnson as a name okay, but what I'm really excited for is the phrase, dude, stop bogarting that Kelly Johnson. <laughs> I would actually say Joint is a sweet nickname. Yeah. That's that's up there. That's one of those nicknames like Chicken, <laughs> where like it, j- mm, it just works Yeah, nickname-wise. Kelly Joint Johnson. Joint. Come on, Joint. Get it together, Joint. Need you here, Joint. All right, what about Jimmy Parides? Well, we haven't seen a whole lot out of the young man so far. I will say Gary Thorne cannot decide how to say his name. <laughs> Gary Thorne doesn't want to be pigeonholed by your repetitive bullshit, man. We've heard parades, parades, Jimmy yep. parades. Yep. Uh, I'll tell you what I'm going to go with uh, for Jimmy Parides. Orchestra. Ooh. 
Because say this phrase with me. And imagine it on uh, like a poster with a 1950s font. Yeah. Tonight at the Biltmore, Jimmy Parides and his orchestra. <laughs> right? Totally. Yeah. That works so well. That's very good. That's very good. I don't have a lot to top that. Um, and here's the thing. Jimmy Parides has been brought on to keep the infield functioning in harmony. Nice. Nice. I don't have I don't have much to top that. Those who stay 15 on Twitter, at those who stay 15 on Twitter, um, suggests we call him the Grand Marshal. Uh, oh, like parades? Mm-hmm. Which I kind of <laughs> really like. The Grand Marshal. Yeah. That's great too, because he's sort of diminutive in stature. Right. So it's a little, it's a little bit of the of the teeny nickname for or little little John nickname for our second Robin Hood reference of this particular session. The Grand Marshal is better than orchestra. I kind of like orchestra though. I I defer. I I right. doff my cap to you. All right. Those we, who stay well, fifteen. We appreciate you. Those who stay fifteen. Um, That's also a great Twitter handle. <laughs> it is. <laughs> uh, and that I believe. Uh, clears up our, our any confusion we may have in the infield. Um, I think we're good infield wise. Should we pop over to the outfield then? Let's let's pop. Uh, David Lowe has not lived up to any of his nicknames except for perhaps mine, um, which was Yobo. You only bat once, right? Uh, and now Nelson Cruz, we didn't really know what to do with at the beginning of the of the season. Um, you went with Sedan, and I went with Horatio. <laughs> Um, and I wonder if... I don't think any explanation is needed for either of those. <laughs> I think they should, just, they should just hang out where they are. Now, do you feel like we made any mistakes there, or do you want to update that one? Because that's one I tagged as a potential update candidate. Um, you know, it, the thing about these nicknames is we've, we've only on a few occasions have we come up with one that's actually fun to scream at the television. Right. Um, and the only one that's really fun to scream... At the television, when Cruz is up, is Nelly. Yeah, Nelly's good. I I like the Cruz missile, but I like that a little bit more for his actual home runs, and a little bit less for a nickname for him. Yeah, I mean, I think another way to look at the Nelly option is that, like the hip hop artist of the same name, ah, his biggest hits are probably behind him. <laughs> but uh, there's still a lot to like about his flow. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. I think I think my talent nickname wise is justification for the nickname, not the generation of the actual name. <laughs> I think I think I think that that's totally fair. Um, so we have over the course of this season nicknamed Steve Pierce, um, the fire hydrant. We've called him Steve Pierce. We've called him Ambrose. We've called him Wayne, as in. Um, his middle name called him Batman Batman because of his middle name being Wayne. But I do want to add one more, which I've found delightful to scream at the screen, which is just the word torque Mm -hmm. because that man generates a surprising amount of torque with his upper body. Yep. That's pretty much all he does. Just like, just like a little top, just winds himself up and just (laughs) unwinds real fast. He pretty much stands with his back to the pitcher in the batter's box. And then like, like hurdles his torso through the zone. I think Torque is great. Um, maybe it's Jimmy Parides and his Torquestra, which is entirely <laughs> comprised of Steve Pierce clones playing the violin and the cello and the marimba. 
And all of a sudden, we're in nightmare bird territory. <laughs> uh, all right. Two more outfitters who have joined the team since the uh, in the last couple of days. Uh, we need a nickname for Alejandro de Aza. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, the best one I have come up with uh, for him is uh, Aza Does It, which is to say I have not come up with a good one. <laughs> I got Ali D. Uh, instead of Ali <laughs> G, also not good at all. Yeah, um, I don't know. I mean, the thing about Diaza is, it, it's it's really like having two David Lowe's. Yeah, you know, uh, I I very much viewed the Diaza trade as uh, Dan Duquette thinking to himself, I know I can pull off a trade for a speedy <laughs> left fielder with moderate pop who can start periodically and perhaps pinch run late in the game. I'm 0 for 1. Let, let me see if I can... Let me see, let me try again. Sure. I mean, and he is 0 for 1 because the David Lowe experience has just not panned out. So, you know, I, I think it's totally fair to just kind of sit David Lowe's butt down there on the on the bench and, and go somewhere else for the, uh, for the duration. Yep. So we don't have a nickname for you yet, but we appreciate that you're here. Uh, how about Quentin Berry? Uh, for Quentin Berry, uh, I'm going to go with Wounded Knee. Because you can Quentin bury my heart at wounded knee. And also, he's probably only playing if someone else is hurt. <laughs> I, I, feel, I feel fine with that. Okay. Well, we probably um, forgot some things, Baltimoreans, and we, we, we've usually made some mistakes. So if there's any um, nicknames that desperately need to be redressed or addressed... Please send them to us at Be Morons. We will tweet them out and try to get them in later versions of the show. Um, but right now, you should go forth having things to scream at your television come October baseball. I do want to say that I'm sad that Christian Walker didn't get called up because I was hoping that he would called up and be our solution and our savior at first base and then that we could call him Skywalker. So maybe that beautiful day will come to us in At the future. At some point. All right, Baltimoreans, um, now that you have all those nicknames, that's about all the time we have for this week. Uh, Sam, any any closing thoughts? Well, I, I before we go, I just wanted to say, you know, while we were sitting here mm-hmm. coming up with really brilliant and well-justified nicknames <laughs> for new Baltimore Orioles players, yeah, uh, I felt a buzz in my pocket. Yes. And I thought, oh, I've received a text message. Sure. And I somewhat, you know, inconsiderately reached into my pocket uh, to pull out my phone and see who had texted me. But when I reached into my pocket, I realized I don't have my phone. Uh-oh. My phone's not in my pocket. Weird. My phone is sitting here on the desk. So so what was that so buzzing? what's in your pocket? So I, I reached into my pocket. And as I reached into my pocket, my hand kept going down. And I thought, this is weird, but my pocket is deeper than I recall it being. And, and suddenly my hand was most of the way down my thigh. Ugh. And then I was touching my knee. And I was like, did I, I don't, it didn't feel like I ripped the fabric of the pocket of my jeans. 
So how is my hand continuing to descend? And then I looked down and I could see a lump in my pants as my hand was going farther and farther down my leg. Finally, I was reaching down and I was touching my ankle. Again, through my pocket. <laughs> and then my my hand went past my ankle and went past my foot. I, I could feel my fingers touch the floor. And then it was like the floor was made out of this weird viscous material and and suddenly my my hand was submerged wrist deep in what I thought was the floor but was actually some kind of puddle and as I got into the puddle I felt something smooth and firm whoa and spherical and then I pulled my hand up suddenly my hand went up back into my pant leg all the way up my leg and back out of my pocket and when it emerged I was holding a golf ball. The golf ball was transparent. And then I cracked the golf ball on the table and it opened and there was a little note inside it. And it's from Scotty. How does he do it? Who who you you can find on LinkedIn under his, his given name, Scotland P. Diego. <laughs> he is, of course, our, our former intern here at Hootenanny Studios. Which, of course, means it's time for yet another episode of Where in the World is Scotland P. Diego? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so just looking at the note here, it says, uh, Alan, Sam, uh, I have fallen to the bottom of a mysterious uh, pond from which there appears to be no escape. Fortunately, I brought my aqua suit, so I don't, a resourceful one, that's I don't think I'm in any immediate danger, uh, although it's difficult to figure out how I got here from the Mojave Desert. Anyway... <laughs> Those interdimensional doors, man, they'll, they'll get you. Anyway... Earlier in the episode, Alan. Whoa! You, whoa! Yeah, which this, this is our is, first live update. Yes, this is. It's amazing to me that we can only barely figure out how to broadcast a show live, and Scotty is somehow able to get us a notification from the bottom of a mystery pond in the Mojave Desert live, live while we're recording. Man, good uh, work, Scotty. He says, Alan, earlier in the show, uh, you said the phrase. Samsung gives us an opportunity to capitalize on the opportunity that Sam spoke of. And you should have said, Samsung gives us an opportunity to capitalize on the opportunity that Sam sung of. Whoa! But then Scotty adds, of course, grammatically, it would be more correct to say the opportunity of which Sam sung to avoid the dangling participle. Quite the update from Scotland P. Diego this week, Baltimore. I, I hope you make it back to the surface, Scotty. Consider yourselves fortunate to get that amount of knowledge uh, dropped by Sam Dingman here in the studio. <laughs> I was sitting here the entire time, and I didn't even notice the hand going in the pocket, and I just saw the golf ball emerge. So we're all pretty fortunate to have made it out. It's 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 very weird, and uh, I, I mean, my hope is I just finished playing the game Bioshock. Mm. I've also just recently doing other things that most people finished in 2007. <laughs> Like voting for Barack Obama in the Democratic primary. Um, so I hope Scotty Topical. is not in in some kind of Bioshock type situation. That's a bad place to be. They're in his submerged environment. All right. Now we really are out of time. Yeah. Yeah. All right, folks. Uh, well, you've been listening to Baltimoreans, which is produced by Alan Smith and Sam Dingman here at Hootenanny Studios, in which you can find at our website, bemorons.com. 
and follow us on Twitter at BMorons. As we said, we are proud members of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. And this evening's show featured the music of In Order, Marshall York, who wrote and performs our theme song. Town Hall with the interstitial music from Working for Another Song. Weather Report, whose song Birdland we also play between segments. And uh, James Carter, whose song Free Reggae High Bop is the backing track on Alan Smith's intros and who I have forgotten to credit in literally every episode until this one. <laughs> of course, behind us now, you are also hearing the sweet sounds of the Black Crows with their song Kicking My Heart Around. Oh, Alan, uh, yes, before we before we depart, I had a question for you. What's that? The question is, um, what do you... <laughs> Uh, what does Henry Erudia say when he is expressing befuddlement at the proud tradition in baseball of smacking your fellow players on the hind parts to express approval for what they've done? I do not know. Why does everyone insist on touching Henry's Erudius Maximus? And that's the worst one of those we've ever done. It's okay. 82 wins. Good night, Baltimoreans. Bona notte. Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at baltimoresportsreport.com.